what I think this question highlights, and I'm gonna make some big sweeping comments. I don't know this. I don't know this advisor. He might be a great guy, but there is a big difference between a financial advisor and a salesperson. Okay. Ooh. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hello, Mark. Let's jump right into it. So, wait. I, I've prepared for the banter section this week. Well, I have too. I have I have much on my mind. Okay. Okay. Then jump in to whatever you the have. The first thing I the first thing I want to convey to the people is that um this is silly, but I I was just I was just looking I don't know, looking at some somehow you get these ads for apps that that the machinery thinks you're going to like. Some machinery somewhere thinks I'm going to like an app to play a a Star Trek game on my phone. It's offensive. So I, correct, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a sci-fi film that I've watched that would lead into this conclusion. Although I do like sci-fi, you I wrote do like sci-fi. You, you wrote a sci-fi film once. That I got do like produced. sci-fi. Film. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that actually. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I do like sci-fi films. And I once took a class in college because um, it was a way to get a literature class out of out of my way. And the class was science fiction. And I really like it was like a great historical review of science fiction. Anyhow. So I'm looking at this ad for this Star Trek film. And, I mean, game. And LeVar Burton is part of this thing. Um, part of this game somehow. Now. By the time this episode airs, we will have recently aired an, uh, a conversation that I had with Jeff Davenport, my old friend and writing buddy. We, as you were just saying, we made, this is, uh, feels like a lifetime ago, we made a movie, <laughs> crazily, LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton, for, for you youngsters out there, LeVar Burton played a, a character named Kunta Kinte in Roots, which was a humongous um, miniseries that aired on national TV in the late 70s, early 80s, somewhere around there. I was too young to see it, but I know it, was, it had massive cultural impact. Then he became the host of The Reading Rainbow, which I think I was then too old for. I kind of cut my teeth on Sesame Street. Did you know Reading Rainbow as a kid? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. LeVar Burton was the host of Reading Rainbow. He was sort of a has-been by the time we got a hold of him. I'm glad he was available. I don't know. Maybe it pulled in some viewers to our movie. So um, Jeff and I had the pleasure of going to Montreal where our film was shot. We got to feel like important people for a day walking around the set of a movie and meeting B-list characters and I mean actors and directors and seeing how a movie got made from the inside out it was really fun but LeVar Burton happened to be shooting that day we meet LeVar Burton and I'm telling you Mark within two minutes of meeting this guy he, I'm sorry if there are children in the car. Just put your hands over their ears for a moment. LeVar Burton is telling us uh, where he's staying, where he's staying you know, while shooting this movie, and it's great. It's remote. It's a beautiful cottage that's remote somewhere, and the Internet is good, and I'll just say that LeVar told us in detail how happy he was that he could get the kind of internet that he enjoyed in his remote cabin out there. And I'm thinking, you met us two minutes ago, bro. What? I mean, I guess when people reach a certain level of stardom, they think they can, they think that there's no, no way for them to socially violate 
you, I guess. And Jeff and I are just staring at each other like, get a load of this freak. So anyways, that just came to mind. I thought I would relate that to the people. LeVar Burton, he, we all thought he was a part of our innocence when he was reading us books on reading Rainbow. Um, and he's And he's a pervert. Okay. That's all for me. No, it's not all for me. I actually have something else I want to share, but that'll do that'll do to throw cold water on our faces to start off today's episode. Are How we, are you doing? Are we about to get sued by somebody that has a much bigger audience than we do? How how could somebody sue us? I don't know. That's well, not libel or slander. Oh. Okay. Well, that's your story about Jordy LaForge. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And then and then uh, yeah, and then he was on the star one of the Star Treks. Okay. He went on a Star Trek at one point. Well, now how are you? What what have you got? I've I have another I have another I have a question. In, introductory thing up my up my sleeve. We're going to have to pick it. it up, but I I've got cuz we got a lot to get through on the actual topic today, but um I have a question for you. Do you have your phone? on you right now yes 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 it's so in front if of i me. if i texted you some photos you could react to them in real time oh that's fun great i, I, I don't know that also i think we probably ought to have you cover your children's ears because you're about to react to my meat <laughs> in real time but um i am sending you these pictures i promised last time that we would be um that we would be using this new smoker for sukkot and yes. we're wrapping up Sukkot. Tonight is my middle daughter's birthday party. We're going to have family over. And I have just been smoking up a storm this week. Uh, and so this is the, the grand culmination, uh, which is a couple of pork how we, shoulders. How do we get a Traeger sponsorship out of this relationship? I don't know. With this important man. Did you receive these photos? Yes, I did. What do you think? Well, first of all, I have a question. Okay. The the pork shoulders are sitting in one of those large aluminum pans. Yes. Um, and I see that you have wisely, liberally sprinkled them with pats of butter. That's really wonderful. They're sitting in a fluid before they get cooked. Is that oil? No, here's the funny thing. That picture that I sent you on top there... Yeah, that's before the bottom picture. So I smoked them for five hours on the grates, oh. and now I have moved them in. I have moved them into the foil dish, put about an inch of apple juice on the bottom, and then oh. rub, rubbed them with brown sugar and butter pats. And I'm going to now I smoke gonna... them for hours more. Okay, I was just going to ask if that was a if that's a brown sugar kind of a rub. Or if it was more of a cumin garlic kind of a rub. But knowing that it's brown sugar makes me really happy. Yeah, I started and with more of a savory rub. The brown sugar goes on after that with the butter. And then the apple juice steams up through the pork. And I'll be done in about three hours. They're on right now? Yep, they've been on since 8 a.m., and, and as I'm ch and as I'm looking at pictures of them on my phone, on your phone, you could be checking their exact temperature. Isn't that true? Let's let's see where the pork lies. Oh wow, this is a podcast first, everyone. Mark right is now, checking the temperature of his Traeger meats as we record. We have a hundred and sixty-four degree internal temperature. Oh, if if that's a rib, you could take it off right now. You could. We're going all the way to 205, though, with this pork. Hey, suddenly, um, you, suddenly you, you're going to be trusted for this information over me in about a week. You're going to be... Well... It's going to be as if you went to barbecue school. Yeah, I will say this, this device feels like cheating. It just feels magical, and I... Things have turned out with these pink smoke rings on them and amazing barks, and I don't know how to do that. I just stick it in there and program it up in the app, and it comes out perfect. So I the don't know. The important thing is, is your wife impressed on any level? Yeah, she had to work last night, 
uh, late. And so we brought the, we brought the barbecue to her at work, uh, which was fun. And Oh, that's great. Had, they had a little, we had friends in the suka, but we first brought mom some barbecue at work. This is lovely looking meat and I can see that you're, you know, for me, grilling and suka time go hand in hand and I can see that the, the grates on your smoker slash grill are already well seasoned. There's, there's goop on there. That's all from today. Cause I actually meticulously cleaned them last night. So okay um yeah so fun stuff um but that that's update number one update number two i think so we got we're gonna go through some listener comments and questions today but we got one piece of feedback that was looking for maybe an apology from us okay um i don't know if you remember Stephen, a couple weeks ago maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, by the time this comes out, you, you Let really me just pause and say, I'm always ready to apologize. I'm in a permanent posture where I, when someone approaches me for any reason, I'm ready to say, I'm sorry for, and then let them fill in the blank. So well, that's, that's not a problem. We were we were bantering as we are known to do and oh boy you you really went deep on oh the the bear attack that occurred where oh, there was a when child that boy. who there was a child who had snuck a Snickers into his sleeping bag and it <laughs> turned the bear found it as he was making his way through the child but um <laughs> There was a listener who wrote in and said, I'm sitting there and I'm listening. And I'm kind of interested and I'm a little yeah. appalled. Oh, yeah. And then I look down and I'm halfway through a Snickers bar. And oh, I just no. thought, this is my favorite candy treat. And oh. these these jack wagons have gone and made me feel <laughs> like a monster for a... Like he's guilty for enjoying a Snickers he, bar. He felt like he was identifying with the bear in that moment. Like, and so I don't know, but they loved Snickers and they felt some guilt. Um, so I think that we should probably just, just issue a formal apology. You can tweet it. Um, I think our PR department will write something for you right? and you can just read that into the camera. Like there's somebody standing behind you with a gun. I understand what you're referencing here. We won't be apologizing for the old kid is a snicker bar in the Whoa. mouth of a bear joke. Steven says we, we aren't uh, afraid to bring <laughs> controversial opinions and we'll never apologize. So take that list. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say we'd never apologize. I would say uh, someone being um, uh, offended at a gentle, uh, a gentle humor, which we acknowledged was uh, insensitive is not grounds for apology. So, well, to be fair, yeah. I think that this listener was mostly hoping to just participate in our in our humor. So uh, this listener this listener just got referenced, so it worked for this listener. Yeah, they they got what they were after. We're not going right. to tell you their their Instagram handle though. No, oh, they if they're trying to siphon off uh hits from this mention uh, that's fine i'll say it it was dave ramsey (laughs) (laughs) that cat is always trying to use us as a stepping stone 100 and and uh i'm not interested in helping that guy actually i i i would be there he's done a lot of good now can i move on to my thing move on okay (laughs) <laughs> this is so funny how this has come into my world. I'm a bit, well, maybe it's not funny. Uh, so I got a degree in, in this sounds like a, an NFL prospect uh, degree, but I actually got a degree in speech communications, 
not because I was trying to uh, lazy my way through college, but because I'm actually interested in the art and the science of communication. I'm interested in that. So I've always been a bit of a speech junkie. You know, you can buy you can buy um, audio series of the great speeches of history, and I'm the kind of speech nerd who has done that. I, I like listening to great speeches, and it kind of dovetails with my interest in culture um, because I'm interested in men like, oh, say Churchill, who was a fantastic speaker. He's a fantastic motivator. He was a fantastic unifier, and he knew how to use humor. He knew how to use um, uh, quotes in, in, a, in an apt way. He knew how to weave history into what he was saying. Um, and he knew how to be really challenging and forthright with people when he thought that his people needed it. Um, so there's a lot, I think there's a lot to learn through the important speeches of history. If you ever sat and listened to, we try to every February, Feb, February, every February, we try to listen through, for instance, the I Have a Dream speech. We, uh, Not in a soundbite way, the whole speech. Listen to the speech. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm into that sort of thing. Well, my sixth grade child is is now in a class where she is memorizing they memorize verses every once in a while then they'll memorize passages of scripture they'll memorize poems and now they're getting into memorizing chunks of speeches and as i'm going through these with my daughter i am so stirred by the things that our wonderful christian school is having her memorize these sections of speeches that I, I keep thinking to myself, it, you know, if I had a friend in the house right now, I would run downstairs and say, let me read you part of this speech. This is so good. And I do, there is a place when I talk with friends every week, it's right here on the Abraham's Wallet podcast. So I thought I'm going to introduce, I don't know how long this will be until I get bored of it, I'm going to introduce the orator's corner. You can think of it as, as the speaker's corner in famous Hyde Park uh, in London. But this is the orator's corner, and the stirring music that you hear behind you is that I'm bringing a little culture to the people. So I'm going to read a little bit of a speech today. How's that grab you? Let's let's hear it. Okay. This is this was a great president. I could go on about this guy. I don't I don't want to. I'm just going to read part of his address. This this is from Teddy Roosevelt in 1899. Now listen to this. I think all of our dudes will love this. A life of slothful ease. A life of that peace which springs merely from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting American demands from himself and his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. For who among you would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is the first is to be the first consideration in their eyes to be the ultimate goal after which they strive you work yourselves and you bring up your sons to work if you're rich and you're worth your salt you will teach your sons that though they may have leisure it is not to be spent in idleness for wisely used leisure merely means that those who possess it being free from the necessity of working for their livelihood are all the more bound to carry on some kind of non-renumerative work in science, in letters, in art, in exploration, in historical research, work of the type we most need in this country, the successful carrying out of which reflects most honor upon the nation. We do not admire the man of timid peace. We admire the man who embodies victorious effort, the man who never wrongs his neighbor, 
who is prompt to help a friend, but who has those virile qualities necessary to win in the stern strife of actual life. It is hard to fail, but it is worse never to have tried to succeed. In this life, we get nothing save by effort. Freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been stored up effort in the past. That is a hot line for a multi-generational family. I'll repeat it. Freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been stored up effort in the past. A mere life of ease is not in the end a very satisfactory life. And above all, it is a life which ultimately unfits those who follow it for serious work in the world. In the last analysis, a healthy state can exist only when the men and women who make it up lead clean, vigorous, healthy lives. When the children are so trained that they shall endeavor not to shirk difficulties, but to overcome them. Not to seek ease, but to know how to wrest triumph from toil and risk. The man must be glad to do a man's work, to dare and endure and to labor, to keep himself and to keep those dependent upon him. The woman must be the housewife, the helpmeet of the homemaker, the wise and fearless mother of many healthy children. In one of Daudet's powerful and melancholy books, he speaks of the fear of maternity, the haunting terror of the young wife of the present day. When such words can be truthfully written of a nation, that nation is rotten to the heart's core. This is stunning stuff. I'm going to repeat those last two sentences. He's, he's quoting uh, a 19th century uh, novelist by Alphonse Daudet, and he's referring to a book called The Immortal. So he says, in one of Daudet's powerful and melancholy books, he speaks of, quote, the fear of maternity the haunting terror of the young wife of the present day, end quote. When such words can be truthfully written of a nation, that is, that they fear maternity, they fear motherhood, that nation is rotten to the heart's core. When men fear work or fear righteous war, when women fear motherhood, they tremble on the brink of doom. And well it is that they should vanish from the earth, where they are fit subjects for the scorn of all men and women who are themselves strong and brave and high-minded. Teddy Roosevelt, how's that grab you? There's a lot of strong, strong segments in there. It covers a pretty uh, expansive chunk from how to build multi-generational effort that you store in the form of money to uh, fearing one's created role. <laughs> so yes, it's really something I could see either of the, the current or the former president really saying to the nation. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so at least we have that. Anyways, this speech was was. Um, titled The Strenuous Life, Teddy Roosevelt, 1899. And uh, let this serve as an advertisement for why it's good to read history and to listen to the great speeches of the past because they tether us to something that is more true and lasting than the bizarre historical moment in which we find ourselves where... Um, you know, if you're a man who thinks he's a woman and wants to strut around uh, wearing a Batman costume, um, if you can get yourself a large enough TikTok audience, you'll you'll be fine and you'll be considered normal in today's society. And it's not normal. No, and we shouldn't. And we shouldn't think of that as normal. You know what's normal here on the Abraham's Wallet podcast? Talking about content talking about finances and so we're gonna get we're gonna get back to <laughs> yeah. normal sure um, we can do that thank it's you it's been for, a good 25 minutes thank you for installment number one of the speaker's corner i hope that we will have um ever shorter clips from great speeches in the future so <laughs>
Um, we'll see if we can make them briefer, but you know, Teddy, 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 Teddy's yeah, bringing were, the, the heavy wood today. It was strong. Um, so what I, I wanted to do this week is talk through just three questions. It's not a full on mailbag because we, we kind of selected questions that hover around one specific thing that people have written into the Abraham's Wallet podcast and said, which is we get some emails from time to time that say, my financial advisor said, fill in the blank, what do you think? And I just yes. wanted to respond to a few of those. Uh, I have changed all the personal data unless I specifically asked the person if we would be okay to share it. And so um, we may have changed your gender if you're listening and you wrote this. I'm sorry. We may not hmm. have. We don't even, uh, we don't know. That's uh, that's normal today to just change back, someone's gender. We're back on that. I was not trying to go there. Um, yeah, okay. In any case... I'm just going to read some questions. Stephen, feel free to weigh in here. I've got some thoughts on these. And uh, the namesake of this episode is my financial advisor said. Right. Okay. Um, Hit it. Question number one. I'm working on a startup in the tech space and I've raised a fair bit. Well, it seems like a fair bit of money to me of capital to fund this new business. And I've talked to my financial advisor about the right moves to be making in this stage of life. And he keeps telling me to invest in retirement accounts since I'm young, I'm 32. Am I dealing with a bad advisor since I feel like I can grow my money faster by investing in myself and my business right now? That's the question. Okay. So I think this is a really good question because the the other two we're going to talk about i think have a little more of a clear-cut answer the my thoughts on this one are there are two sides to this coin um side one is that a good advisor won't tell you to put your money into the stock market where it can make eight percent for you when you could invest in your business and make 300 percent uh we talk about that a lot over on our financial advising business with people uh it's one of my Favorite things to say to someone who's thinking about working with us is, hey, we're not going to try to tell you over here, do this boring stocks and bonds thing. If you can crank out a business that's going to grow your wealth by orders of magnitude. Um, here's the kicker. It's yeah. very hard to know if you can actually make a 300% return on your money. Um, you know, often in the in the tech startup space, that's kind of where I came from before I was doing this job, uh, people think they have a lot of money when all they really have is a big valuation of their company. I remember working for a tech. Amen to that. You've been there as an investor, right? Yes. And I, I've worked at a company where I thought, wow, I, I just started looking at my, my equity in the company and I thought, okay, here's where we are projecting to go. Uh, my little tiny sliver of this company should be worth two, three million dollars here in the next couple of years. That's pretty sweet. And uh, do you know how much that equity was worth when I left that company, Stephen? I don't. I don't off the top of my head. It was worth zero dollars because oh, that's, that's too bad. That's the game with tech startups is they just don't always pan out. And so I, I think it's really easy to confuse hey, investors are giving me money at this huge valuation if you're starting a business. To confuse that with, I just went from having $100,000 when I started this company and then I raised some money and now I have a company they tell me it's worth $5 million. Well, you don't have $5 million, I'm sorry. Um, you have a company that has kind of an imaginary price tag on it. So yeah. the best question to ask yourself is, if I have another $10,000 to grow my business, and this doesn't have to be a tech business. You could have a lawn mowing business. Um, yep. Will I get a real return on that money or will I just be growing the theoretical valuation of the business? So there's a lot of ways to get a real return. You could invest in marketing and get more customers and they will pay you money and you will get a return on your marketing investment. You could buy a new piece of equipment that lets you do more work and be more efficient. Um, you could even spend money on marketing and get more customers and lose money on those customers. But because now you've got so many customers, somebody else is willing to buy your company for a lot of money. 
those are all fine ways to uh, to to deploy your money and earn on it. Um, but sometimes the answer is actually the the bottleneck in my business is not cash. You and I have a business where there's other bottlenecks that are definitely stopping us from growing as fast as we would like, but cash is not one of them. If you gave us another wad of cash, we wouldn't grow faster just because we have cash. Um, so if that's the state you're in as an entrepreneur, um, actually it can add a ton of stability to your life to start building financial assets. So you've got a business asset um, you might have spent a lot of your time and money growing that business asset and you haven't focused on financial assets. Well, maybe your business is growing to the point where it's time to start building the financial assets. Um, if you have a mature business, it might be time to start thinking about real estate assets. Uh, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but I really like the idea that by around the time you are going to die, you kind of plan to have a third of your wealth in financial assets, a third of your wealth in business assets, and a third of your wealth in real estate assets. But when people hear me say that, they think, well, okay, maybe I'm supposed to grow those all at the same pace. So I've always got a third, a third, a third. And that's not how it works. There's going to be times mm. where you should be full guns ablaze building your business and you don't have time to, to go worry about the stock market and you couldn't get a loan to buy a property if you wanted one because you just started a new <laughs> business. Um, and there's other times, sometimes it's at the beginning of your career, sometimes it's later in your career where, hey, I'm working for somebody else and it's actually they gave me an opportunity to build up a bunch of stock and bond type investments and financial assets. Well, take advantage of it and build those at that time. Uh, and then real estate, it's another one that opportunistic acquisition tends to be the best. So this is one where I don't think we could say your financial advisor is bad for advising you uh, to, to invest in what you might think of as boring if you're kind of an entrepreneurial person. But I, I think we can also say... He might, he might be just saying, hey, I want to manage more money for you. So you're going to have to do some calculus to say, am I, am I fooling myself to think I could just invest in my own business and grow my money way faster there? Or um, no, is there a real opportunity that I could use extra cash to, to grow a business for my family and start that, that business asset column that maybe I haven't, I haven't invested in yet? That's great. Um, I, I wonder if you can kind of split the difference on this, because if this guy says that he's young, did he say, did he give us his age? 32. 32. I, I kind of think he should have something in retirement because, you know, I, 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 I always, we always assume people have more knowledge than they do, but you know, newlywed money is like some of the most valuable money in life is the what you do as a young married or a young family leader that money is really precious because it's if you can put money away at 25 30 years old that money is going to grow a lot historically that's what we are that's what we think so i would personally i would want this guy to have something in retirement if he has nothing in retirement and his advisor is saying i'd really like for you to at least consider this i'd be into that uh, i agree with you i think that uh people tend to undervalue the benefits of compound interest because you're not making that boring eight percent return on the 10 grand that you're thinking about adding now, if you build up yes. a big account, you're making it on the whole bundle um, yes. every year. And so that, that, you know, compound interest, we've talked about it a lot here, but a lot of entrepreneurial uh, go-getter types, sometimes they don't uh, do the math and see how that, that money can work for you just in kind of yes. an impressive way. And now, now I believe that you can kind of be behind. You can be behind schedule if you have a plan for out of scope earnings. You think I, I, I just I think I'm on to something. I think this business is going to work, and so I'm happy to kind of be behind on on retirement savings right now because of what I think is coming. 
but I, I don't think you can, have, you can have nothing in retirement and, and feel that you're being responsible. So I, I would see the business and your, your dreams as part of, as you're saying, as part of your investment and saving strategy. And I'll be the first to say, I, I totally want to empathize with this guy in saying that our experience, mine and my wife's, has been that our businesses were always the most profitable place that we could stick money. Um, we, I was just trying to do some, uh, back of the napkin math and for the, the salon business that I ran for just a few years, that money made about 600% a year while, while I was in that business. And then our, our enduring family business, we've seen about 35% growth. Uh, on every return of that. So I remember this is years ago. This is probably 12 years ago. I certainly wasn't a financial advisor, um, but I was t I was in this world and talking about this kind of stuff with a friend who, who said, well, just give me a rundown on what your returns have been over the last, like, like let's say five years in your business, um, your business businesses where you've had an ownership stake now let me see the returns for um, the market. Now let me see the returns in other businesses that you have invested in. And it was like, well, crap, dumpy, poor, disappointing, except for everything we had an ownership stake in. And it was all through the roof. And he, and he just said, well, it seems to me the best thing you can do with your money is bet on yourselves. And so how can you, how, how can you put money into your business? Well, for, for us, one easy way to put money into our business would be put money into hiring people to expand what we can accomplish. And sometimes, you know, it's always a tricky thing when you're growing a business. How much, how, how, many, how much hiring do we do? How much do we wait until we have padded out uh, cash in the bank before we hire? Do we wait until we have good contracts in the pipeline before we hire? And this is one of those times when, well, if you're onto a good idea and you think your business is stable, hire. That's a way of investing into your business and saying, hey, we, let's expand it. Let's hire some hungry people and get after it. So I, I, I just sympathize again with the guy in saying betting on yourself um, is, is not a dumb strategy if you're, if you're going to go, if you're going to, if you're a go getter and you're going to go do it. Um, it's the best strategy we've ever had. Um, uh, we'll we'll see if Bitcoin overturns that trend, uh, but I, I doubt it. I doubt Bitcoin's going to do better than than our experience running our own businesses. But I do think I'm just reiterating. I do think being respond even if you think you're on a bullet to number one, this thing's going to churn out so much money. I do think you should still be responsible and having like a life insurance policy and having something going for a retirement account, et cetera. So awesome. My thoughts. Why don't you take us to question number two? Okay. Question number two is the following. I've met with several advisors and they say I should focus on paying down my mortgage and investing in a 401k. That's the big advice from the advisor. Pay down the mortgage, invest in a 401k. My wife and I come from a poor family, but we put ourselves through college and a master's degree and have started investing in real estate while working in the corporate world. The advice I'm getting, which I reiterate, focus on paying down your mortgage and investing in a 401k just doesn't feel aligned with our family vision. So they're starting to invest in real estate. I assume it's going well. They probably want to put more there. So. The, the first thing I want to say in response to this question is, wow, <laughs> I want to say to this human being, um, you're not the only one of your kind. You're not totally alone, but boy, you are not normal. And I want to applaud you working your way up from poverty into college degree world and having investment money. That's not a, that's not a small thing. You know, uh, doesn't um, doesn't Dave Ramsey famously have on his radio show that somebody calls in and says, I'm debt free, I'm cutting up my credit cards, and then they blow a horn and throw confetti? They do a scream, the debt free scream. They do a scream. Okay. <laughs> well, 
I, 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 someday when we're a radio show, no, we're not going to be a radio show, but wouldn't it be fun if we could have people on here when somebody says, you know, I, I am the financial patriarch of my family. I was the breakthrough like my dad, somebody that came from poverty, worked faithfully, broke the cycle of poverty. I, 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 I don't want to scream for them. I want to blow a shofar or something uh, more noble for them. Anyways, I just want to say this is a really special person. Um, but my answer to the question of, oh, well, what do I do with, what do I do with extra money now that we have extra money? I'll just say that for us, the answer to that question is always we start with vision. And and what I mean when I say vision is not that we have a cookie cutter plan. You come into financial advisor world and you, we start checking off boxes. And once you've got that insurance policy, we move on to this one. Now you need a bigger insurance policy. Now have you done all of your 401k check that box off and then we just start piling up a an american dream of of walking us uh, walking every person down the same path we don't believe in that um we believe in starting with vision and what i mean by that is the vision of what god made your family to do i, I believe that's supposed to drive the way that we handle money. Money doesn't sit alone on the side um, as its own uh, as its own little fiefdom unto itself. And then we do money things with money. And then we do prayerful things with prayer. And then we do peoply things with relationships. No, we think that money is supposed to serve the much bigger thing, which is why did God put you on earth? Why did he put you with your spouse? And what is your family about? So that's the way we think about these things. So I, I'm going to give you a little case study that I think will help illuminate uh, what I'm saying. So here's a little case study. The, the, these are fictional characters we made up that uh, help illustrate things that we have seen. Okay, the Kims are designers, graphic designers, um, and they own their own business. Joseph, Joseph Kim, just signed a new contract with a huge company that will secure good paying work for years. Huge contract with a, with a big like top 50 company. Um, they also just won a bidding war for a great house that they can afford on this new salary. Now, if everything were normal and we were just in financial advisor world, I'm putting quotes around that, and I want you to imagine a, a big building with a logo and commercials that you see during playoff time. Um, if, you, if we were in that world, we would make sure that their investment and their giving, maybe their giving, uh, uh, other, other large uh, financial companies which shall not be named wouldn't be interested in that. But we would say, oh, let's just make sure these things are up to snuff and that your spending is below your income and then we're set and we're good, right? We would say not so fast because what we want to do is get to know the Kims and we want to find out what, what, are, what do they feel are their real callings? Why did God put them here? What is their family for? Well, when we dig into their vision of our, of our case study family here, the Kims, we learn that they're called to be apostles, that means that they're supposed to be um, initiators. They're pioneers who lay foundations. And they actually, as we talk to them, we find out they feel guilty because they know that they're called to be unusually aggressive givers, particularly to refugee families from Cambodia. We also discover they expect to move to Long Beach to plant a church in within the next three years. And we also learn they have virtually no retirement or education savings for their children. Oh, so that changes things. So now we understand the vision of this family and what God's made them to be and what they feel called to. We, we can put our arm around them and say, hey guys, I'm delighted that you won this uh, bidding war for this house. 
Now let's see if you can make money on it as you get out of that house. That You don't need to be in that high rent house right now. You don't need to be thinking that you're going to expend all of that income that you've got. We need to change that budget around so that we can increase giving and we need to think about where you're going. We need to be saving up for this move to Long Beach, for this church plant. Um, we, we, as we worked with this family, we find there's actually income there to support two mission trips in the next couple of years for them and their family to go visit Cambodia, as well as fund all of their church planting training and all the stuff they got going on. Why is that? It's because their vision drives their finances. So when I hear this family, so that's the end of the little case study. When I hear this family that says, basically, we just had a financial advisor. He doesn't care about what we're doing with real estate or why we're doing it or our history. He just says, the reasonable thing you should be doing right now is pay down that mortgage and invest in a 401k. I don't know what is the best thing for this family because I don't know enough about their story or where God's taking them. I just know that the advice they're getting came out of a package. It, it, it came out of the same box of cereal that, that came off a shelf that every other 10,000 families that this advisor works with, he tells them all the same advice. It's not based on vision. So um, I'm not saying that it's the greatest thing in the world for you to put all your money in real estate. I don't know what you're doing with real estate. I don't know the vision of it. I don't know if it's rental real estate that's going to make you a huge income because you're going to support people. I don't know. I don't know enough of the story. I just know by by what I can hear that you're being fed the same prepackaged line that everybody else gets. And that makes me wary of it. The, the big takeaway for me, even in the question as it was set up, is that this person says they have a family vision, you know, like to 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 be deviated from like something butted up against that in the right. initial responses where they went, well, this doesn't really feel like us. So I guess it would be fun to sit down and, and kind of dig into what's the, what is the vision? What is the vision? And I'm definitely not here to say that everything that you would get recommended to do at some Edward Jones or Northwestern, well, maybe Northwestern mutual, but most <laughs> the big financial planning kind of factories, um, some of the things they would tell you to do, you still probably should do. Um, and that's, that's why I think the case study is really important because it says, well, here's the things that everyone would tell them to do. These things would be different, but these things would be the same. It's kind of what we just said in the last question. Um, there's still value in the, the, the standard wisdom. I think maybe our our listeners and people who want to kind of be multi-generational in their thinking uh, can be drawn towards, I'm going to do everything different than what is popular in the current moment just because, uh, and that's dangerous. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think that even small changes can have really big impacts. So where it's like, Hey, I'm hearing that I'm supposed to stuff all my money into retirement accounts. Um, that could be the wrong thing for a family, but what if we just did almost the same thing, but we put it into a type of account where you could access it and it wasn't locked up until you turned 65. Um, that could be trajectory changing for a family five years from now when a key opportunity comes along. Um, so you don't have to have your vision completely baked and say, well, we know how to fund it from start to finish for the next 20 or 30 years today to just say, if there's a little voice in your ear saying, I'm not sure that this really matches our vision, uh, don't ignore it. And um, just to go back to what you started with, start with vision and just, yeah. I think you can't do too much drilling there. Um it's like the measure twice, cut once thing. Yeah. Do, do the vision right. thing 10 times and just get it locked in. I, I've said it many times here on, on the Abraham's Wallet podcast. We, we took like 14 years to get our family vision solid enough to where we were like ready to put it on a sign and hang it in our house. Mm. Um, 
So, and it changed pretty dramatically. Like at first it was just my ideas and my wife was kind of like, oh, whatever. And then yeah. it changed almost the opposite where she's like, I want this. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, I'm, I'm excited that you're involved now. But then I looked at it for, and it wasn't quite right. And so it took us some time uh, and it would have been dumb for us to just go out and totally uproot our financial lives to, to do the first version that we came up with. Um, so I think there's, there's value in just really spending time on the vision piece and maintaining some flexibility until you get crystal clear, like at least the big rocks, we know what they are. Yeah. Great. All right. Last question for the day. Um, this one, Steven, you know, I like to get riled up about certain things and this one touches. Oh, you sure do. One of those things. Uh, let's he let's hear what our reader has to say. Uh, our listener or reader. I don't know. It sounds like they read. It says just read your article <laughs> on arguing for a big mortgage. And it's really got me thinking lately. That's what we try to do here. Um, yeah. Make them think. We paid off our house earlier this year. Uh oh. And have been focusing on retirement planning. <laughs> I'm a sole provider of for my family of four people. I'm 37 years old. And we've opened a LERP. Oh, uh, boy. LERP alert. Life insurance retirement plan. And are starting to fund that on top of my employer's 401k. After taxes and tithing, we have a couple thousand bucks a month to work with and no debt. I've been thinking that we should finance the house for roughly $150,000 to $200,000. Uh, and I'm thinking it would be wise to use that to invest and fund a second LERP. I'm kind of torn. I love being completely debt-free, but I also don't like the majority of my wealth just tied to equity in the house, even though I have a home equity line of credit. What are your but thoughts? But I love LERPs. Yeah. What are your thoughts? My current financial advisor didn't really recommend either way since both have benefits. Thanks. <laughs> so do you remember back when I got real, real, uh, I was just licking my chops every week that we came to do this podcast because I was excited to talk about insurance. Yes. Yeah. I, and you, if, yes, I do. If you haven't Super listened heroes. to that series, it's probably one of our least recommended series because it gets into some really boring nitty gritty details about insurance. But what I think this question highlights, and I'm gonna make some big sweeping comments. I don't know this. Say it. I don't know this Say advisor. It. He might be a great guy, but there is a big difference between a financial advisor and a salesperson. Okay. Ooh. Um, salespeople are generally given commissions to sell you things, and there's laws that say here's what they're allowed to sell you. Um, we've talked about this before, but those laws are generally uh, suitability laws. Um, that means they're not allowed to sell you something that's completely ridiculous that would, would financially ruin you. Um, as long as you can prove that in court, you could sue them and the court would say, yeah, that wasn't a suitable investment, pay them back. Um, but they do not have to sell you things that are best for you. Uh, that is called a fiduciary, somebody who is, is held to the standard of recommending something that is the best for you. So if mm. there's option A, where you invest in a Roth IRA and buy a term life insurance policy that some insurance salesperson is going to get a hundred bucks of commission or, or option B, they can sell you a LERP and they get a $20,000 <laughs> commission. Uh, a fiduciary, you actually can sue the fiduciary if they sell you the LERP and it turns out that wasn't the best move. But a uh, regular old salesperson masquerading as financial advisor, that person, they are allowed to sell you the, the whole life policy all day. Um, so just to back up, what, what the, the, the reader is asking, they were sold a, a whole life policy under the auspices that it could be used to overfund it and fund their retirement by taking money out of it in the future and they will get a death benefit. Uh, they liked this idea of having a death benefit and an investment product. 
Um, and I'm not going to go into my full rebuttal of life insurance today. Um, but the, the gist is... It's already there, Mark. People can go listen to the, that's universal, right. the universal policy episode. But we know that they might not. So I'll give them a one-sentence summary <laughs> because I can't help myself. Uh, okay, go ahead. The gist is you can buy insurance and you can invest your money in financial assets. And you do those things separately. You don't end up paying massive fees to have them combined into one vehicle. It doesn't really make sense that your investing and your insurance should be one thing. Um, so we almost always, with the exclusion of very high net worth individuals, recommend inexpensive term life insurance policies and investing uh, your money in in low cost investments with an advisor if you're going to use one who is compensated not based on selling you commissioned products whether that's insurance or even some advisors don't sell insurance but they sell investments that also have big commissions we don't like that either um, no and so by separating those things out uh, i'm very interested to go back and forth a little bit more with this particular reader and, and talk about their specific situation. Um, but we, we generally find that people do way better, uh, by not locking themselves into a product like a whole life policy that is really only ideal for somebody who's dealing with very different, um, challenges like estate tax issues, uh, that, that, most likely somebody with 2000 bucks a month uh, to save is not dealing with the $23 million estate tax exemption and trying to squeak <laughs> in underneath that. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, I think that's my, my big takeaway for this one. Uh, like I said, this financial advisor might be a good person, uh, but they are definitely a salesperson. And I just don't like anybody taking their advice from a salesperson. I, you know, my wife's a doctor and I can't imagine that her patients would be excited if they found out, well, you know, Dr. Parrott gets paid differently depending on what she prescribes for you. And yeah. she's, a, she's actually allowed to prescribe things where she gets a lot of money and they're, they're like, 30% as good, but usually people still live when they get that medicine. So, um, you know, it's suitable. Right. Okay. So what I'm hearing, um, find a new advisor. Is what yeah. I'm hearing. Uh, I, I definitely think it's just pretty much a non-tenable spot for me to, to think of having somebody giving me advice that is compensated differently based on which advice they give. Um, at very least, find a real financial advisor to do the advice piece of your life. And if you do need insurance products or annuities or the types of junk that gets sold, not bought, then you always know, hey, this guy, I could always go to him and say, hey, I need, a, I need one of those things you sell now. Um, that's a great position to be in because I'm not anti-salesperson. If that's what you need, like I have recommended cer certain products to clients of ours uh, who I thought, well, you could really use one of these products that has a commission attached to it. Call call two or three different salespeople. And, yeah. you know, I don't think any of us begrudge the car salesperson for making a commission no. because when we buy a car, because we need a car. Um, yeah. But we have our we have our antennas up. They don't masquerade as the car advisor who, hey, I don't have any interest in which car you choose at all. Uh, I'm just trying to get you yeah. into the best car, whether it's from my dealership or another one. <laughs> like, right. uh, it's all the same to me. No, that's silly because we walk in and they're the salesperson at the Nissan dealer. They're going to sell For you that the Nissan. car. Yes. Um, and that's that's something that I just think it's lost. There's been legislative efforts that occasionally pop up and there's just tons of money behind the the salesperson lobby that prevents uh congress from making it illegal to call yourself a financial advisor and not actually be one uh, but hopefully someday that will change for now yeah. you have to you have to be aware of this well there there is a part of this question that I think is interesting. So if we, we could just act like it's its own thing. 
this guy has paid off his house and he's basically asking, what if I take 50% half of the equity of my house, pull it out, <clears throat> pull it out at what's, I don't know, 2%, 2.5% mortgage that's going right now because his, because his, his loan to value, a loan, loan uh, percentage of the value of his home is really low. So he's going to get the best possible interest rate. And he's saying, what if I use that to finance investments? Yeah, that's that's a good good catch. You know, if we're arguing that a big mortgage is a good idea because you can invest instead of just let your cash sit in home equity, then would we also say if you've got a paid off house, you should put a mortgage on it at these rates? And I think for a lot of people, the answer is that's not a bad idea. Uh, with a couple caveats. Um, in this this guy's case, he was thinking about taking money out of the house, maybe if I'm understanding correctly, yeah. and putting it into something like a life insurance policy where you're not getting that money back no matter what without huge penalties. Um, and that's a dangerous proposition because uh, most people who are paying off their mortgage really look forward to the the freedom that is provided by, uh, you know, a low monthly overhead on their household. Um, now, if let's say you have a mortgage, but you instead of put it somewhere where you can't get that money out, were to create a taxable investment account. So we're not going to put it in any type, not an IRA or anything. It's just going to go into a taxable investment account. Well, that money you have access to. It can go up and down, so you could invest it in really volatile, aggressive stuff, and it could gain or lose a bunch of money, or uh, you could invest it in really not aggressive stuff, and it could just steadily grow a little bit. Um, but if you wake up, and let's say you, you know, the, the reader said $150,000 pulled out of the house, um, and the house is worth a whole lot more than that. Let's say you woke up one morning and you said, well, something's changed. I lost my job. Uh, and now it really does kind of suck to have that mortgage payment. Well, he can go cash out that investment account, and right. pay off the mortgage. And every day he has that choice. So you're not locked in. Now you do want to match your investment time horizon with the, the potential time you're going to have your money in the market. Um, so that you don't, like I said, invest in something really risky, the market takes a big dip, and now you have to sell at a loss, that would not feel good. Um, but once you get that right, um, I always tell people, you can, you can decide after a year or 15 years, or you can never uh, decide to pay off the mortgage. And sure. you, you kind of wake up with that option every day. And as long as the the payment is reasonable and at current mortgage rates of two and a half percent it's pretty hard to imagine that you're going to end up um over long periods of time making less than two and a half percent on a decently diversified investment portfolio so it's a good totally move agree. i think it's a good move it's not there's nothing wrong with having a paid off house uh, so, it, you know, some people, that's just something they say, my risk, my personal risk tolerance is lower and I would like to have a paid off house. And we don't think you're a dummy for doing that. Um, but if you are saying, actually, I would like to deploy this money and I've got ex quite a bit of extra money each month, I could easily afford a mortgage payment. Um, you know, just to kind of tap one more time on this particular question if you had the choice to put a thousand bucks a month aside for investment, or you could take out 150,000 and let it grow, well, it's going to be a very long time before you have 150,000 built up at a thousand bucks a month. Um, but if you put 150,000 in an account right now that's earning 8%, that's going to start compounding very quickly and your money is going yes. to be earning money. Um, yep. so it's very big difference. Uh, it's the whole big difference. It goes back to the first question. Starting early allows you to build up what might not seem like a, I mean, $150,000 might not seem like that much money, but if it doubles every seven, or eight, be. right. If it doubles every seven or eight years, you're going to be way ahead of, of the person who just starts now and starts saving a thousand bucks a month. Like we said.
That That's such an important point. I'm just going to reiterate it quickly. You said if somebody has a thousand dollars a month to give to investing, they have a choice. They could either put this towards an account that they're slowly building over time or this, this reader who's got this question says we have the room to take out 150k out of our equity we could put that into the market today and with that same thousand dollars i could be paying a new mortgage for that 150k which is out there working in the market that 150k working the market will make so much more money than you investing one thousand dollars a year not to poo poo the new the young person who's starting a career and is investing a thousand dollars a month that that is very important money i'm just saying um that that using equity to invest is not dumb let's just put some numbers to it so if All you right. invest a thousand bucks a month for 10 years and you get an eight percent return which is actually a pretty great return uh you've got 180 grand after 10 years okay okay now, if you invest $150,000 today and do a $0 per month contribution for 10 years, at the end of 10 years with the same rate of return, you have $323,000. So a lot more money. Um, now, I, we'd have to go back and forth and find out how much the mortgage payment was versus the um, to find out if that's the exact right comparison. But you get the gist. The Right. Starting with the big pile lets it grow more than than you can probably add on your own. All right. Well, I've I've enjoyed dealing with what my maybe dumb advisor has to say to me. Stuff my advisor says. Stuff my advisor says. I, I think I'm at I think I'm at my best when I'm trying to prove <laughs> that somebody else might be kind of a, a knucklehead. <laughs> But yes, I, thought, well. I thought many times it'd be fun to set up a, a separate financial advising practice that only existed to help people unwind the messes of insurance products and stuff that they were well, selling. That would be fun. But I don't know. Maybe my blood pressure would be too high if that was my everyday. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you guys for listening. And we will be back next week with something else. All right, Mark, go enjoy your smoked meats. Will do.